Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Tekeshed is a, is a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry and the College of Optometrists in Vision Development. Dr. Tekeshed serves as the Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute and has lectured extensively across the country on the topics of pediatric eye conditions and low vision rehabilitation. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Tonight, our topic is eye safety, and we are just so pleased to have you, Dr. Bill. We're so lucky to have you in our neighborhood. Oh, thank you very much, Sue. And uh, thank you for doing that introduction. I, I know yeah. that you're getting over laryngitis, and it's not <laughs> too easy to speak when you have laryngitis. Well, I apologize for my stumbles. <laughs> no. But first of all, I just want to say Happy New Year to everybody out there, and I wish each and everyone, you know, tremendous health and happiness for 2017, and we'll make this a, a really a great year. And this year, we thought that we would start by talking about something that everybody could benefit from, especially those who are working with children who have low vision, and that is safety. How do you make certain that a child or an adult with low vision remains safe? You know, if we ever thought about the situation where maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and all of the power is out in the neighborhood, there's no lights, it happens to be a night that there's an eclipse, and the house is completely dark, and you're trying to get from your bedroom to the bathroom, and you stumble over objects that are on the floor, or you're bumping into the door or walls, and then you conk your nose over on the edge of a counter, and you, you have all of these problems. And when we cannot see well, it's very, very easy to become injured as we just simply try to move from one location to another. And the reason for that is that the visual system is extremely important in guiding the movement of the body. The peripheral vision that we all have is what gives us the ability to see what is around us. We could see obstacles on the floor. We could see doorways that are on the side of us. It also gives us the ability to see when there is very dim illumination or it's very dark. The other thing that many people are not familiar with, though, is that 20% of the fibers from the optic nerve that come from the eyes to the brain they don't even go to the region of the brain that allows us to see, but 20% of those fibers goes to a motor area of the brain that controls the movement of our body parts. And this is why we see that there's such a close relationship between our eye-hand and our eye-foot coordination. If you simply can feel and see where a particular object is, it's quite easy to direct your hand so that you could touch that object that you see. But when there is no visual input, or if you completely blindfold yourself, it is much more difficult to move your foot or your leg or your hand at that location, even if somebody tells you where to go. 
So we're going to begin today by talking about how can we make things safe for children and adults. The first step is all children, not only the children that you suspect has a vision problem, but all children should have their first vision examination at the age of six months. Now, many people think, my gosh, I didn't know that a child could really have their eyes examined at six months. I thought that you would take a child in once a child learns how to read numbers or letters on the eye chart. But in reality, pediatric optometrists and pediatric ophthalmologists are trained to perform tests that don't even require. It doesn't require that the child even says a word. We have instruments where we could, first of all, look into the eye and determine if the eyes are healthy. This is a very, very important thing to do because it is possible that the child has some sort of an eye disease. Some children may have a cataract where the lens inside the eye is clouded. And if that particular cataract is not removed until the child is six or seven or eight, that child may suffer from permanent blurred vision, even if that child has received cataract surgery. We may also see other situations in which a child may have one eye that requires glasses and the other eye does not. I received a call from a mother this week and she was so distraught. She has a seven-year-old girl who asked her to take her to the doctor and she said, why do you want to go to the eye doctor? She goes, well, Mom, I think there's something wrong with my right eye. I just don't see so well. When she went to the doctor, the doctor measured her vision, and the mom could not believe it. Her daughter could not even read the large E on the eye chart. Her vision was on the order of 20 over 400. But the other eye was 20-20. So the doctor told the mother that she has amblyopia, also known as lazy eye, and that that right eye is much more farsighted than the other eye, and that she's going to have to wear glasses, and we're going to have to try to improve the vision by patching her good eye to force her to use the bad eye. Now, this mother, she was so, so upset. I mean, crying hysterically, and she just wondered why didn't I take her when she was younger? I never knew. Nobody ever told me that a child should have their eyes checked at six months. I took my child to the pediatrician, and my child passed the physical at the pediatrician's office. She was able to read the 2020 letters on the eye chart with each eye. How could this be? And her daughter says, Mom, I memorized the letters. I didn't want to get any wrong, so I memorized it. And when she later went to school and the school did their screenings, she did the same thing. So this is here's another situation in which if she would have had her eyes examined early on, she could have been fit with glasses and her vision in both eyes would have developed. And now at this point in time, we're going to have to try to treat her with patching and some exercises to improve the vision. But we can do so much by simply having the child's eyes checked at that very early age and glasses or contact lenses 
or surgery if needed can be provided very early on. When we do have a child who's very young, whether the child has a vision problem or not, it is still very important to modify your home to make it as safe as possible. Now, you might say, well, Dr. Bill, why do we need to go through these extra things if my child does not have any eye problem whatsoever? And the answer for that is vision is a developed skill. A child's vision does not develop to be similar to that of an adult until the child is approximately seven and a half years of age. And in fact, during the first year of life, the child's vision is very similar to that of a person who is legally blind. In other words, a child who is very young does not see clearly and their vision is between 20 over 200 to 20 over 1,000 during that first year of life. And it usually isn't until about two years of age that the child has the ability to begin to see distance objects clearly. So what we're talking about here is during those first two years, a child does not see clearly like an adult. A child does not have the depth perception of an adult. A child does not have the ability to coordinate both eyes together like an adult. And as a result, they sometimes will see double vision. And a child during this first two years of life, they do not have strong motor and eye-hand coordination. So this is why when they're trying to crawl, they trip or they stumble, or as they begin to walk, they lose their balance. And it's because all of these visual eye-hand coordination skills are just developing. So what are some of the things that you want to do with your home to make it safer for your child? Well, the first thing is that most children are going to spend a lot of time sleeping. And we know that when a child is sleeping, they don't necessarily have too many things to be concerned with. But if a child is going to be in a bassinet, we really want to have something on the sides so that the child doesn't happen to roll out of the bassinet. Or even sometimes you see some children are in a crib and they can often roll over the side of the crib if you don't have the guardrails up. Now, you might say, well, the bassinet or the crib, they're no more than 12 inches off the floor, so that can't really be that dangerous. But the reality is, is that I have had children, patients of mine, who came in and they fell off of the bed and their mothers noticed that there was a bruise on the side of the eye. When we looked inside the eye, we saw that these children suffered from a hemorrhage in the retina and the other one suffered from a retinal detachment. Now, these are different types of conditions that are seriously vision-threatening. In other words, if you have a hemorrhage in the eye where blood is bleeding in the eye, it can cause such severe damage to the vision that some people with a retinal hemorrhage won't see anything but dark red. When a child suffers from a retinal detachment, they can go completely blind forever if it is not treated. So in these cases, it was fortunate that the mothers brought the kids in so that we were able to refer them to an ophthalmologist for that type of medical treatment. 
So in the crib and the bassinet, we do want to make certain that there's side rails and you keep these rails up so the child doesn't roll out. We also recommend that within these sleeping areas, you don't want to have too many pillows or you don't want to have too many covers that are going to be around the head because, again, some situations a child might turn over and the blankets or the pillows can block the child's airway. I have unfortunately experienced one case where a child did become suffocated from all of these different pillows that were around the bed. So in many cases, it's perfectly fine to allow the child to lie down on the mattress without any type of pillow. And I remember that was something that we did for for our kids when they were young. We also recommend that you want to keep the room that the child is in such that there is some level of illumination. If your child is going to sleep in his or her own room during the first months of life, it's very important to keep at least some sort of light in the room. It might be a light that has just a 15-watt incandescent bulb. And with this slight amount of lighting, it is something that gives the child some visual clue to help the child to orientate where he or she is inside that room. We, we really don't recommend that you keep the lamp real close to the crib or the bassinet so that the child might reach out and grab it and actually get hurt that way. But if we keep a light that's going to be closer to the door somewhere, that helps the child to orient where he or she is inside the room. Another thing that you would also like to do within the room is that you want to try to make certain that you don't keep certain chemicals and other medications or things like that too close to the bed or bassinet because the child may reach for these objects and the child could get hurt or injured. We have seen times that children will grab things off of the table that's very close by and they take or ingest these medications and it's very, very dangerous. Another thing that I recently read articles about is that baby powder, the talc, is also something that you really have to be very careful about because talc has been found to be associated with cancer. And in many of these cancer cells, they have been able to see the talc. So many times some pediatricians are recommending that a mother or father, they wouldn't use that type of baby powder because it is something that can get into the system and can be carcinogenic. When we then think about the child and you take the child out of the crib and the child's going to be crawling and playing on the floor, you really want to make certain that you clear the room so that it's free of other types of clutter or things that could fall down. You know, you'd be surprised with what little babies can do. I'm talking about babies that are two to three months old. They may roll over and they may pull something and they could pull these things on top of them. You have to be careful if you have any types of pets. You know, sometimes the dogs that might be so friendly Sometimes they may think that they're playing with a child and they can actually hurt the child where they're opening their mouth and trying to play with a child as if the child is a doll. You want to make certain that your child is not going to be picking up different things that are on the floor. 
sometimes you might realize that there are lint balls or fur balls from the animals, and these babies will put them in their mouth and they might ingest them, and it affects their airway. So this is something that I thought never could happen, but I actually saw it with some of the patients of mine, and this lack of oxygen, it literally damaged the brain of these children, causing them to be visually impaired. So we want to keep that area that the child is going to play with, you know, free and clean of clutter and such. A good way that you might be able to do that is to simply use a bed sheet. Whenever we put our kids on the floor, we would just pull out a new bed sheet and we would let the child lie on the clean bed sheet, put the toys on the clean bed sheet, and that was a way that we didn't have to worry if there was something dirty on the carpet or if anything else got there. When the child is finished, we simply would pick up that bed sheet and we could put it in the laundry, and it made things very, very easy. When you're using these types of bed sheets, too, it's really a good idea to try to make certain that these bed sheets are going to be of a solid color. If you do have a carpet at home and your carpet is brown, for example, using a white bed sheet really creates a nice high contrast border so that the child knows where his or her toys are at and they could find the toys within that area. If you find that you have a different type of carpet, if your carpet itself is white, then we would recommend that you use a colored bed sheet so there is that contrast as we create the border. Now, what about when it comes down to time that we're going to be feeding our child? Are there things that could be a danger? And yes, there obviously are things that could be dangerous. Anything that is left around the house are things that a child may potentially put in his or her mouth and they could choke and swallow it. So you really want to make certain that things are really clean if we're going to be at the dining room table and we don't leave a lot of little odds and ends around the table. When we have you feed your baby with a bottle, for example, we like to recommend that you're using high-contrast baby bottle. By having high-contrast on the baby bottle, what we mean is you could use electrical tape and it could be a high-contrast black or it could be a high-contrast red. And when you fill it with the milk, the child will be able to see that particular pattern. And this is how the child begins to learn that my milk is in this high-contrast bottle. This helps them to identify what is food and what is not. When we don't have those particular types of high-contrast patterns, some children with low vision, they can't really identify their bottle. They don't know. So they may pick up anything and try to drink from it. So using that type of high-contrast is really very helpful. As your child gets older and starts to eat from a bowl or a plate and utensils and so on and so forth, we still say use high contrast again because it makes things so much safer. For example, if you have a white tablecloth at your home, you might then go ahead and use a black placemat. Or some people will use a dark cafeteria tray. And then you could place a white plate there and then you could put the child's colored foods on that white plate. You see, all of this contrast makes it so much easier for your child to locate the food, and that way your child can develop the eye-hand coordination to pick it up and eat it. 
The same thing with your child's cup or drink, whatever that it is, will make that to be high contrast. If we don't have this type of high contrast, there's the possibility that your child may reach for something that he or she is not supposed to. It might be a hot pot of gravy, and it's something that your child could burn itself with. Or it might be that you have other types of utensils. It might be a sharp knife on the table, and the child doesn't really know what it is, and it's just feeling to try to find out what it is, and they may cut themselves. So you can do things to make things much easier for your child to locate by using that type of high contrast. Now, as your child is getting older and now beginning to walk, what are things that we could do to help to keep things and make things safer? Well, one of the things is that you can be very creative and you can make the door jams on every one of your doors look extremely fashionable. For one thing, we have told many parents that around the door jams, there's a little piece of wood, and you could paint that wood very easily without using much paint at all. It won't cost you more than a couple of dollars, and you can have these door jams painted. Let's say it's your daughter's room. Maybe you want to paint that door jam red, and the walls and the door would be white. So your daughter could see the red door jam and know exactly where the door is. Now, you might say, well, that's a great idea, but I don't want red and blue and green door jams in my living room and these other fancy areas. We have guests that come over, and we want it to look fancy. Well, the other thing that you can do is if you have off-white walls, for example, you can go to Home Depot or other places, and you could buy crown molding. And these are wood moldings that are just beautiful. They're elegantly carved and such. And you could either stain them a different color, or most of them come in different colored stains. So you simply would nail these particular pieces of crown molding around the doorways, and it looks absolutely beautiful. And it's something you can do. It makes your house look really fancy, but it gives your child that visual clue that this is where the end of the hallway is and this is where another doorway is so they could see these things. The most difficult thing for children is that when you have a house that is all the same color, you might have a beautiful home in Beverly Hills and you have off-white walls and you have off-white tile and everything is just so clean and, and, and crystal and these kids will not be able to see that because there's no contrast. But you could add a little bit of contrast by using a little bit of paint on the door jams, and you could use these moldings. Another thing that you could do to make your house much, much safer is that try to keep the doors closed or completely open. The most dangerous thing for a person who is partially sighted or blind is if the door is partially open. And the reason for that is when they use their hands to feel, it feels as though the door is open, but the door is only partially open, and when they walk, they usually walk right into the edge of the door, and it's a very easy way to cut your head open. There are these very small attachments that you could, anybody could apply it to your door, 
and it goes right on the door hinge. What these do is that these will automatically close the door so that if somebody leaves that door, the door will automatically close, and that makes it a lot safer for your child. You also could do different types of things around the home by using textures. It could be very, very helpful if for some of your walls that you might use a different texture paint. If the paint has a little roughened texture, the child might realize, oh, I'm in the hallway. And then when they get into the den, the paint might be very smooth, and the child could very easily feel those changes in texture. You can also do different things with the flooring. It is extremely, extremely helpful for a person with low vision if the hallways or the walkways, perhaps they are made out of hardwood floor or their tile. But when you get into the living room, it is suddenly carpet. So that change in the flooring helps the child to identify that he or she is in a different room. Another thing that's also really, really great to do is when you look at different places that the child may be walking. If you have a two- or three-story home and there's stairways, this is something that could be very, very dangerous for the child. So in those situations, you may initially put up a little gate. There are little child safety gates that the child won't roll down the stairs. Or they might not try to crawl up the stairs and happen to roll back down. These gates are, are very, very small, and they look very, very nice, and it's a way to protect your child from seriously getting hurt. Another thing that you could do is that during the places or at the places that your child might be leaving the house to go outside, you want to use different types of contrast and texture so that the child will see that, wow, I'm going outside and there's different stairs that I have to go downward. Let's say from your front door you open the door. It's very, very good that you have a placemat. I'm not, I don't mean placemat, a door. <laughs> it's a doormat that's going to be right in front of the front door. These are usually very large mats, and they're often made of a different material, so the texture is thick and different. This will teach your child that, wow, you're on your way outside. Many times they're going to be able to see that they're going outside in the daytime, but at night they may not. As they walk a few steps more, they're probably going to encounter some steps. It might be many steps or just a few steps that go down towards the driveway, for example, or down towards the sidewalk. At those steps, you want to use friction tape. Now, let's say that you have a concrete cement stairway. There is friction tape that's a dark gray, and you could purchase this in different widths. I recommend that on that very, very top step that we use a wider strip of the friction tape. I would recommend something that's going to be about four inches so that when your child is walking, they are going to encounter the friction tape and they could feel that it feels like sandpaper with their feet. That will remind them that there's stairs coming and that they will then stop or that they'll look. 
when they look, they're going to see that there's this dark stripe and then there's the very light concrete. So it gives them the contrast to see where the steps are. You want to then put a strip of the friction tape on each step until the child is on the very, very bottom. At that location of where you have stairs, it's also very important to make certain you have adequate outdoor lighting. This type of adequate outdoor lighting is really very efficient now because with the new light bulbs, they're very bright and they don't use much electricity. So this is something that you could convert your existing porch light to one of the new sodium lights and this is going to be very, very bright, and it'll make your home much safer. If you have a home that happens to have brick steps, there is also friction tape that is very whitish in color. So you could have that type of contrast as well. Now, there are some people who will be very creative and in locations outdoors that there are obstacles or contours they may create contrast. Sometimes they might paint that row of bricks along the flower bed so that there is that type of contrast. Other people might actually place an object, such as a waterfall, okay, a little water fountain, so that it's always running and the child could see it and they could hear the water so it helps them to orient themselves so that they don't trip and fall and get work. If there is stairways, you also want to make certain that you have a handrail. You know, many homes don't have these handrails, and everybody could benefit from having a handrail that they could hold on to to go up and down the stairs. This is something that makes it much, much easier for them to get up and down the stairs. Now, if you're going to be looking at your backyard, the first thing is if you do have a swimming pool, it's the law that you must have this pool gate and a fence around the pool. There are so many times that a child may get into the pool gate and some kids, even though they know how to swim, they may get hurt or they may drown because they have gotten excited or they panic. When you have these pool gates, you really want to make certain that they automatically lock. Nowadays, there's many different types of security cameras, and these are security cameras that you can place all over the home, and you could put them near your pool gate so that if anybody should open the gate and walk in that area, it will set off an alarm, and this will notify you on your phone, your cell phone. So since most of us carry a smartphone, uh, your iPhone may create an alarm, and this is something that will notify you if your child somehow has gotten out into the gate. In your patio area, many people do have patios, and it's really a nice idea that the poles or the posts that hold up the patio, that those are going to be of a different contrast. It's very helpful that you might paint one side a white and the other opposite side a brown, and the other side a white, and the other side a brown. So it looks very artistic, but those contrasting colors allow the child to know that there is a pole there. You could also use different moldings on the edges of those poles so 
that those poles aren't quite as sharp, and you don't have to worry about the child actually hitting his or her head on that pole. Now, if you most people often will have a sliding glass door that takes them from the house into the backyard, and there have been many, many, many times that people have run into that sliding door. Many times, even people with normal vision, they thought the glass door was open, but it was actually shut. So if you are going to put in a sliding glass door, it's helpful to buy one that has the panes in there. And these are the lines that are vertical and horizontal, so it gives a grid appearance. If you already have a sliding door and it doesn't have those types of grids, you can go ahead and put something like that on there. You could do a very artistic design by just using tape, for example, white tape, and you could make a few stripes, and that's going to be something that everybody will see if that door is open or closed. So these are just a few of the, the modifications that you could make you know, around the home to make things a much, much safer for your child. Now, for most children, if they do have low vision, we recommend that they do wear safety glasses when they're playing sports and things. Many children who have low vision simply will benefit from wearing safety glasses because the glasses could be incorporated with a tint to reduce the glare. We could put a high contrast tint to help them to see better, and we could also incorporate a prescription that would magnify things for them. So you want to look for a pair of sport glasses, and the sport glasses should have a lens material called polycarbonate. And the polycarbonate material, it is extremely strong, and in fact, it's bullet-resistant. So if kids are playing baseball and a ball hits them in the head, uh, the glasses will protect their eyes that way. Another thing that glasses are able to do when you use the polycarbonate lenses, the polycarbonate lenses will filter out the ultraviolet radiation, and it could filter out the blue wavelengths of light. We know that the ultraviolet and the blue wavelengths of light, they can cause damage to the tissues of the eyes. So by wearing these glasses and safety glasses, a child will have complete protection and safety to their eyes when they're just at school, they're at home, and when they're playing. So these are just a few of the things that we would recommend for kids of all ages and adults. And to remember that the children should get their eyes checked at least once every year after their first examination. Uh, Sue, do you have any other suggestions, or does anybody in the audience have any questions? No, you handled it really well, Dr. Bill. I, um, I, I did have a quick question in regard to the differences, like in UV, um, like amber versus like the green um, tint in uh, the lens. Is there anything that you would recommend that would be better for, say, a child with a retinal condition um, or something. Is there any way that we should? Is there anything that we should be considering when it comes to the color of the lens? Yes, that's really a great question. And what we do know about light is that every 
different color of light, it contains a different amount of energy. So when we see light that is a blue light, that blue light has the highest level of energy of the visible light. So that type of blue light could be very damaging if a person has a retinal disease. When we use lenses, we will use lenses that will eliminate the blue light. Mm -hmm. So a yellow lens is going to filter or eliminate a lot of the blue light. An amber lens will filter out even more of the blue light, and we will often use that amber lens for outdoor use. Mm -hmm. And then a brown lens will filter out the most of the blue light. And that would often be used for direct use in the sunlight. But the problems with the brown lens and the amber lens, for some children, they're too dark for use at nighttime or they're too dark for the use in the classroom. So this is why we might say, let's use yellow lenses indoors and outdoors will use either amber or brown. With respect to the ultraviolet radiation, the ultraviolet radiation is the most powerful and the most damaging energy of light. And it is something that is invisible. In other words, the human eye cannot see ultraviolet light. But there are lenses, and like these polycarbonate lenses that we talked about, it will filter out that ultraviolet radiation. So you can have a clear lens, and it will filter out the ultraviolet radiation. But if we have an eye condition where the doctor says we need to filter the blue light, the doctor may then recommend the yellow, the amber, or the brown. Okay. Now, there's other types of eye diseases where some kids may not see color as well, or mm -hmm. other kids might be very, very sensitive to the brightness of light, and we may use a gray lens, or we may use a green lens. And there's even some cases we even use red lenses. So the low vision doctor will completely know which lenses would be the best for that person, and it will improve the vision, and it will also have more safety for that child. Mm -hmm. Okay. Great. Thank you very much. Yes. Good. And does Thank anybody you. else out there have any questions? If there aren't, I just want to say if you do have questions, uh, feel free to email me. Uh, you could email me at Dr. Bill Foundation. That's D-R-B-I-L-L -L Foundation at gmail.com. Or you could contact uh, the Braille Institute. And this podcast is going to be available at the Braille Institute website, www.brailleinstitute.org. And it will also be up at airsla.org, www.airsla.org. So I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA for recording this, as he does with all of our podcasts, and to Sue from Braille for putting this on each month. 
Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Thank you, Dr. Bill. And uh, y'all learned a lot tonight, well, as, as always. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you so much, and we'll see you all next month then.